This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for a worship Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our first lesson today is a reading from Isaiah. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel, that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. He was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Holy wisdom, holy word. Reading today comes from Hebrews. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should, be made, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters, In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Again and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, the children whom God has given me. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful, faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of his people, because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the second chapter. Now after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, A voice was heard in Ramah, 
wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Now that Christmas is over, life goes on already on this fifth day of Christmas with uh, the gift of true love being five gold rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a... Good, okay. Life goes on in a variety of ways. There are exchanges to be made, sales to be exploited, decorations to be taken down and put away, leftovers to be regifted in creative ways, Facebook photos to be shared, travel back home for millions, we're told, New Year's celebrations to prepare for, and anyone for golf. We could say that except for maybe this morning, the golfers are delivered to us. Life goes on emotionally as well. Some of us must deal with post-holiday depression, fatigue, and letdown. Some can't bring themselves to take decorations down. For others, it can't happen soon enough. Some need recuperation from too much family togetherness. Others cherish what might be the last time they will celebrate as a complete family. Life also goes on for the Holy Family. Between the night of his birth and the events in the reading today, Mary and Joseph probably found a place of temporary residence in Bethlehem. Perhaps neighbors showed up with casseroles or some of the necessary essentials for a new mother, hand-me-downs their own kids have grown out of, maybe babysitting Jesus while Mary goes shopping, and maybe Joseph picks up a little part-time carpentry work while they wait to register for the census. Then something happens that becomes the buzz of the neighborhood. Hey, did you see those fancy Easterners come into town driving their fancy camels, leaving their fancy gifts with that new family? Gifts, they say, fit for a king. They said they were for the baby. There's something strange going on all right. And before they can figure it out, the young family is gone, vanished, disappeared, just like that. No explanation, no forwarding address, left during the night obviously in a hurry. What's going on? And while neighbors are still scratching their heads, the Roman soldiers arrive, going door to door, seeking out and unbelievably with cruelty, taking the life of every baby boy from birth to two years old in the Bethlehem neighborhood, devastating 20, perhaps to 40 families, grief-stricken at being victimized by this tragic demonstration of Herod's demonic jealousy. 
The backstory is that an angel had appeared to Joseph in a dream, warning him that when the wise men did not return to King Herod with news about the newborn king of the Jews, he went into a rage and sent soldiers to kill all the boy babies aged two and under, and that he needed to get Mary and the baby Jesus out of town ASAP. So now, these obedient citizens who had traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem become refugees on the run, seeking asylum across the border in Egypt, beyond the reach of King Herod, and fortunately, the border wasn't closed. It wasn't until after Herod's death that an angel gave the all clear in a dream once again, and the angel-powered GPS changed their destination from Bethlehem to their original home further north in Nazareth. With the return from Egypt, Matthew recalls how Moses, many years earlier, himself a little baby, escaped death decreed by the Egyptian pharaoh and would lead the Israelites from slavery to the freedom of the promised land, even as Jesus now would lead people from slavery to sin to the promised land of God's grace. Life also went on for them in the form of going from the anxiety of arriving in Bethlehem homeless, giving birth for the first time in the unsanitary and risky conditions of a barn, shepherds and foreigners barging in, followed by this sudden alarming midnight escape to Egypt. And if they had heard about what happened to the children in Bethlehem, can you imagine their heartbreak, especially knowing that they were the intended victims not these innocent little toddlers, some of whose parents had perhaps befriended them while they were there. Once again, Matthew recalls the Old Testament story of Rachel, who was the wife of Jacob, who died in childbirth. Bible scholars liken her tears from the grave to the tears of God, who is the consolation of these devastated parents. So life would go on for them, no further details about Joseph after Luke's account of traveling with Mary and searching for the adolescent Jesus in the temple. Eventually, it would lead Jesus through three years of ministry, healing, teaching, blessing little children, eating with sinners, raising the dead, creating hope, then having it dashed at the cross, restoring it three days later with his resurrection, with Mary enduring and prevailing at the cross, and on into the early days of the church. But if life goes on, where does life go on for us? For that, we get assistance from silos, buttons, and zippers. Good biblical images, right? Silos, buttons, and zippers. Silos are not only those tall, round buildings on farms built for storing grain. They also have become symbols for anything that stands alone, like a company or an organization, something independent, not connected, or in relationship to anything else. So imagine two silos when we consider life going on in the Bible and life going on for us that what happened then was an historical event, and that what is happening now is only what is happening now. 
We can peek into that silo to see God's activities as the Bible reveals it and perhaps even be comforted with the knowledge that there is a God. They perhaps might consider themselves spiritual, but not religious. But where life goes on for that person is a separate silo. They use their own resources to deal with the day-to-day challenges of life. Their idea of self-help comes from the world around them, friends, books, credit cards, but not God. While silos don't connect, buttons do. Buttons connect with buttonholes. Here and there, on a shirt or a coat, if you see a button, you can pretty much count on finding a corresponding buttonhole. As life goes on for Jesus and his family, and life goes on for us, let's consider the possibility that buttons and buttonholes are a better way of describing our connection than silos. Occasionally, there's a button, but it's a connection. Once a week, perhaps, in worship, or on occasions of necessary prayer, illness, difficulty in the family, trouble at work, conflict requiring requiring some sort of reconciliation, a crisis of faith, you get the picture. Connect as needed. Whoever thought we could buttonhole God? After silos and buttons, zippers should need no explanation. You're getting the picture. Zippers have a marvelous way of holding things together in a continuous bond. Travelers find them essential on their luggage. They even can make an assisting minister look good. (laughs) And they are an excellent description of how Jesus' life and our life goes on, bonded together by his love and grace and by our response of faith and praise. Forgive me, but I'm going to press on with the image and say that, you know, that little tab without which a zipper will not work, that little whatchamacallit, if anybody knows what you call that little thing, uh, let me know later, is nothing but the act of Jesus' full humanity hanging there on a cross and his divinity by which God raised him from the dead three days later. That act bound the zipper of God's grace and love from beginning to end, from the day of our birth to the day life goes on, past death into God's eternity. And along the way, we are graced to see life through the eyes of God. Through his eyes, we see his angels guiding us the way they guided Joseph, Through his eyes, we agonize over the mistreatment of children the way God agonized over the death of the children of Bethlehem. Through his eyes, we advocate for refugees who seek asylum the way the Holy Family found asylum in Egypt as refugees. Through his eyes, we find another route around the disregard, the lives of others by by centers of power, the way God found a way for the Magi to bypass Herod on their way home. In other words, we live our lives not only by the way he showed us to live, but by the power and courage and love he gives us to live our lives in him by his grace.
a bond of love that God promises will never fail or come apart. And there's a lot that tries to pull that zipper of grace apart. Separation is the very word Paul uses in Romans 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Practically every day we are reminded of the stress on that zipper of grace either by the news that it seems to take an entire half an hour to relate all the death, all the terror, all the conflict, or by our own experiences. The list goes on and on. Who knows what we will encounter as life goes on into the new year of 2020. But what you can count on is that God will not hang out in a silo but will stay true to his promise, the one that he gave through Jesus. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the promise he gave through David and the 23rd Psalm. May the Lord's goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. And may you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.